uh, we're continuing our series, uh, Delicious, the Fruit of the Spirit, today. Um, and as we've been singing, uh, what we're going to be focusing on is faithfulness. And if you've been with us any length of time, you know that um, the biblical word for faithfulness in, in Hebrew is, is hesed. And hesed is like, it's like commitment. It's relentless commitment. Sometimes it gets translated as faithful or steadfast love, sometimes mercy. But what it really gets to is like, never quit, never go back. And so today I, I, I was like, oh, where, you know, what are we going to do? How, how can we best approach this? And I was workshopping with Doug on, on Tuesday and he said, hey, why don't we talk about the guy who's like considered the most faithful person in the Bible, Abraham. And, 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 and maybe even the, the, the part of his life that was the ultimate test of faithfulness. And I thought it was an amazing idea. And so today we're going we're gonna to jump into Genesis 22. So Marilyn, if we could, if we get Genesis 22 up. Uh, then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Moriah, um, we're, we're not exactly sure where that is, but the tradition, the, the Jewish tradition and the Christian tradition is that it's actually Jerusalem. And there's some reasons for thinking that, um, because the, of the, the word itself. And, and, and if you went to Jerusalem today and you saw the Dome of the Rock, uh, where it's like a holy spot for Muslims, right underneath it is the place where, um, the tradition says that all of this stuff happened. And so if you're thinking about what's going on, uh, Abraham and Isaac are going to be climbing up the temple mount. Well, it's not a temple yet, but the mountain where the temple will be for this to take place. Then God says, sacrifice him, Isaac, there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven. What? That's not right. That's later. Wait, I must have. Did I? Yeah, okay. Ah, there we go. When, when they reached the, I'm sorry about that. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Next. There we go. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, on the mountain of Yahweh, it will be provided. And it ends this way. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares Yahweh, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. 
Now, this text is, it's so rich. We could do a whole series on just this text because there's so much going on. And unfortunately, for us, we're just going to be focusing on the, on the bit about faithfulness. Because I think what's happening in this text is there's three characters, right? There's, there's Isaac, there's his father Abraham, and there's Yahweh God. And in their own way, and it's kind of interrelated, they are all demonstrating radical commitment. They're demonstrating what faithfulness is to each other, and then for Isaac and Abraham to God. And so I would, I think it'll be helpful to, to focus on each of the characters in turn. So let's look at, at Isaac first. Um, the boy, uh, the, the Greek, or the Hebrew there is Na'ar, and it's a little bit ambiguous. Na'ar can, can mean anything from like maybe six years old up to about like 18. It's, uh, it gets used in, in, that way throughout scripture. And so we're not sure how old Isaac is at this point. We do know that, uh, Abra- uh, we're told that Abraham was 75 years old when Isaac was born. So it's very likely that Abraham's in his 80s or 90s when this is taking place. And the, and the boy is probably 12 years old, something like that. Why? Uh, because Abraham took the wood and placed it on his son. The, the boy is strong enough to go up a mountain with a load of wood on his back. So he can't be too young. Um, and then, and he's also not dumb. He knows what sacrifices are, are, right? He's like, hey, dad, I got the fire, or I got the wood. You've got the, the lantern and the knife. But what about the offering? Well, then we find out this. Abraham builds the altar using the wood. Isaac's watching, probably a 12-plus-year-old boy. He puts the wood on, and then he binds his son. This is Akedah. This is called the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. He straps Isaac down so that Isaac can't move. And then he lays him on top of the wood. Well, if that's the case, then something very odd is happening with Isaac. Okay? Isaac, like, we don't, we're, the Bible doesn't usually tell us, especially in the Old Testament, how people feel about things. But isn't it very, very strange that this boy who is strong enough to carry wood up a mountain is willing to let his dad tie him up, presumably to murder him and burn his corpse? What a, what a bizarre act for this boy. I mean, he could have run away. He's fast enough. He's strong enough. And yet he seems to allow this to take place. Why? Well, uh, in the, during Vietnam, my, my father, uh, was, he was an Air Force ROTC. He became, he was becoming a pilot and he was going to be deployed to Vietnam for four years. And before he went though, during his training, he was, he participated in what's called SEER school. Uh, that's, it's an acronym, S-E-R-E, survive, evade, resist, escape, often called survival training. And during this time, he, he, he says this is one of the hardest things he'd ever done in his life, and he almost lost his thumb doing it. He was deprived of food and shelter, and he had a knife with him, and he was trying to cut wood in order to, to make a fire, and he sliced his, his thumb, and it, his thumb was hanging off by just the skin. And they, they actually let him bleed for a while before they came in and tried to help him because this school was designed to put you to the, the max, to test you as far as you can go to train you. And at some point during this schooling, this training, every single person who's going through it goes, why are we doing this? This is insane. And yet, they're, because they're in the military, they've been trained. You obey, you don't question it. You do what you're told. And in this case, you're doing something that is that can kill you. And, 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 for, and for what? It was really, really cold. Well, guess what Vietnam is not? 
cold. It was, it was, there was no food. Well, guess what happens to American military personnel? They get fed. There was even a portion of the training where they were taught these old codes, like Morse code and, and, and variations of Morse code so that they could, I guess what, communicate? They had, they had radios. Why are we doing this? Well, during Vietnam, there was a prison in Hanoi, uh, the, the capital of the north, uh, called uh, Hoa Lo. And this prison became a, a, a stopping point and an end point for thousands and thousands of American POWs. And the very beginning of the war, some of the first four uh, POWs ended up in this prison and they were put in isolation. They weren't allowed to communicate with each other because one of the ways that you break people down is you, you do it psychologically. You, you isolate them. You make them alone. You make them feel like no one cares. No one, no one knows they're there. Well, these four guys had gone through SEER training. Survive, evade, resist, escape. And during that time, they had memorized these codes. And so one of the guys, I have a picture here of uh, the tap code, right? One of, one of the guys uh, decides to, he's, he's using taps on the, on the wall to communicate this matrix, right? And you can see it up there, the tap code. There's one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. And there's 25 letters of the alphabet. And, and the way that the code works is your first tap is uh, the column on the left, so if you tap one time, you wait, and then if you tap again one time, that's an A. If you tap two times, tap, tap, and then you wait, and you tap two more times, tap, tap, that's a G. So in this way, the, the, the POWs were able to develop communication so that they could resist. In fact, the thousands and thousands of American GIs who ended up in the uh, the Hoalo um, prison, they all were taught this by the other POWs as soon as they got there. And so as a result, the Americans were incredibly resilient against the torture and isolation that they were subjected to. None of them had any idea that this was going to be what saved their lives. When they were out there in the freezing cold, for the Air Force guys, it was in Washington State. When they're in the freezing cold and they're being deprived of food, when they were being tested to the limits, none of them had any idea that this is what it was going to take to survive. But they obeyed. They did what their commanding officers told them, even when it didn't make any sense. That's the first thing in your note sheets. Biblical, b- biblical faithfulness is obedience, a, a portion of it. Obedience, even when it doesn't make sense. I, Isaac's sitting there. His father is tying him up and laying him on the wood. And what is he thinking? What could possibly go, be going through his mind? Well, presumably he and his dad have, they, they've been together their entire lives. And so far, his obedience to his father has paid off. And so when it's crazy, when it's wild, when it's insane, he sticks with what he knows. And he does what his father says. That might uh, bring up some questions for us. The first one I would say is, has God ever asked you to do something wild? To do something crazy? Has God ever, like, started placing on your heart something insane to do. And, and, and did you do it? 
I, I wonder, I wonder if you can look back in your life when you, when you really were tested, when, when it, this is nuts, but God's asking you to do it. What happened? Now, I know some of your stories here. I know that you've been in places like this for someone like Carter, like Carter Gibbs. This happens a lot to him. And thank God him and not the rest of us because he's strong enough to handle it. Were you guys here when he told the story of, of actually participating when a guy, he, a, a guy was hurt riding a, a motorcycle and came back to life? God, God resurrected a dude right in front of Carter as he was praying over him. Okay, that's wild. That's crazy. God said, Carter, go over to this guy and stabilize him, perform all the, all the stuff while you're waiting for the EMT and pray. And pray. And Carter obeyed, even when it didn't make sense. Like Carter's, Carter's not an EMT. He doesn't know what, how to do stuff like that. And yet, in that, God did something miraculous. Another question obedience. If you don't trust someone, you're not going to be willing to obey them. Now, we all have authorities in our lives, but some of us have authorities that we don't trust because they've wronged us or because they've let us down. And this isn't just faithfulness, you know, to God. It's also faithfulness to each other. It's what Paul wants for the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is for us to, to live well together. Well, some of us have trust issues with each other. We do. And if that's the case, it's going to lead to obedience issues when it's time to do what we're told. And so... Maybe it's time to take an inventory. Who, who is it that you, you don't want to obey? And, and should that be that way? Or should it be different? Well, that's, that's Isaac. Let's take a look at Abraham and, and the, the facet of biblical faithfulness that Abraham represents. The first thing is the, the boy is like, hey, where is this, you know, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says this, God will provide God's going to provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now he says this, but he's already been told by God, that's not happening. He's already been told by God, no, you're going to kill your boy. And so it's hard to know, is he just lying to Isaac? I don't think so. I think that there's something more going on here. And, and go, then what happens? So he binds Isaac, he's getting, and then what does he do? He reaches out, he takes a knife, and he's going to slit his son's throat. That's how you do sacrifices. You slice open the throat of the animal, you bleed it out, and then you light it on fire. Uh, uh, does anyone here have kids? Um, uh, what? What is going on in Abraham's heart? Well, I believe, and we're not told, right? The Bible doesn't tell us how he feels about it. Only that he's going to do it. He's ready to, his own son, his only son. By the way, Abraham, this son is a son of a miraculous son. He wasn't supposed to have any kids. And then in his old age, God says, I'm going to bless you with a child. And through that child, I am going to essentially save the world. I'm going to bless the world. And and when Abraham is told that, his wife is listening. She laughs. She's like, Dude, I, I'm on menopause. Like, didn't call it that, but I'm not, like, there's no, this, we're not fertile anymore. This is impossible. Yet it happened. Abraham's an old man at this point. And yet, he's had a lifetime where God has been saying, do this. And he does it, and things work out. God says, do this, and he does it, and things work out. I believe that what's going on in Abraham's mind, well, just a second. 
Okay, I have a picture here. This is what it looks like when Soren and I play. Soren's five. He's, uh, he's a little bit of a scaredy cat right now. Um, but he likes to play a game called Ninjas. And Ninjas is a game where he runs at me as fast as he can. And he like has a wooden sword or something like that. And he starts to attack me. And he knows what's going to happen is that I am going to defend myself. And I'm going to attack back. Now, I outweigh him by like 200 pounds. Maybe, probably more actually. 220 pounds. I, I'm, there, it takes about three of him stacked up to get to here. And yet, there is absolutely no fear in his eyes when he charges at me with a wooden sword and he smacks me with it. There's no fear in his eyes when I rip the sword out of his hands, I pick him up, and I throw him. Instead of crying or being afraid, he's laughing the whole time. Why? Because we've done this before. There have been a lot of times where he's come at me and I've picked him up. And Sometimes if I'm on the couch, like I'll be laying there and he'll come at me and I'll just kick him. <laughs> it's awesome. And he flies backwards. I make sure there's a bunch of pillows safe. Aaron's mad. We don't do it while she's around. Fathering, it's awesome. We, he knows that he doesn't have to be afraid of me. Even though by all accounts, he probably should be. Because of what I could do. The same thing has been happening with Abraham his entire life. God's like his father, and God has, has, has been do this, do this, do this, and it always works out. I believe, and it doesn't tell us this, but I believe that Abraham, when he's about to, to murder his son, believes that somehow God is going to bring his son back. I believe that the only way he would have the strength and the fortitude to commit this act would be because he has seen God do miraculous things his entire life, he believes God's going to give his boy back. He doesn't know how. It's impossible. Just like getting pregnant when you're 75. And so this lifetime of back and forth commitment has led Abraham to have an incredible, radical, insane trust. And that's biblical faithfulness. That's another piece of biblical faithfulness is radical trust. Trust even when it makes zero sense. That's the next thing on your note sheets. Trust even when it doesn't make any sense. By, by any human standard, there's no way this is going to go well for Abraham. And yet, he believes. And the reason he believes is because these two have been doing life together since he was called as a young man. Decades and decades of doing life with Yahweh God have led him to be at a place where he is willing to do the unthinkable. That's, that's, that, and, and, and Paul is calling, saying the fruit of the Spirit in this congregation, that's part of it. Radical trust, not just in God, by the way, but in each other. Uh-oh. Trust is really hard. A lot of us um, come from backgrounds where trust has been broken over and over and over again. Some of us come from places where our parents um, failed miserably 
over and over and over again. And so we have a hard time trusting not just God. We definitely don't trust people because they've let us down. But what does that look like? But maybe what we're being called to, maybe the call to faithfulness, this fruit of the spirit, maybe the call for you right now is to begin trusting again. Is to put it on the line and say, I, I'm, I'm worried, I'm scared, but I, I've got to do this because I got to start. And, and here's how you do it. You do what Abraham did. You do life with people. If you do life with people and they keep showing up and they're there for you and they do the right things and, and, and they validate, then you can start to trust them because you can see that they're trustworthy. And then when the chips are down and you're not sure how they're going to respond, then you're going to have the ability, you're going to have the power in your, your heart and your will to trust them even when you can't see the future. The same way that God develops trust with us by being faithful, we have to do with each other. We took a survey uh, over the summer into the fall, and one of the, the big, big things that we, we saw was that there's a lot of people in this congregation who desire um, re- adult connection and discipleship. There's a lot of people here who are lonely and, and really want to have deep relationships with friends. Well, if you do, that's the place where, where trust starts. And so in just a few weeks, probably, we're going to be starting some small groups. So more small groups. I'm going to add, if you are looking for that, if you are looking for someone to do life with, to begin to learn how to trust again, please, please, please join a group. Moreover, we're going to launch the prayer and care team. Um, that One of the things that the prayer and care team is going to do is, is during the week, if you need somebody to walk through life with you because you're going through something awful, we're going to have somebody who's going to pray for you daily. We're going to have someone who's willing to go out to coffee with you. We do not want you to be alone. And if you begin to do life together, you will begin to develop biblical faithfulness. Trust, even when it doesn't make sense. But my favorite character, if you want to call it that, in this story is Yahweh God. What, what, a, what a strange, strange thing God does here. But let, let's just look at a few, a few points here about what God does. Let's go to the text, um, Marilyn. I love this. So God's told Abraham to do the unthinkable. And as he's about to do it, God says, stop. Now I know that you fear me. Wait, 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 this is God. Doesn't God know everything? He does, right? God knows everything. We're, we're, we, that's what we think God, God's omniscient. That's what the theologians say. He knows everything. Knows everything there is to be known. Well, it's interesting that the Bible actually portrays God. Sure, he can find out whatever he wants, but there's sometimes God maybe doesn't reveal things to himself because he wants to see what people are really like. It's very possible that in this case, God could have known Abraham's heart. But what what God was more interested in was finding out if this relationship that they'd had for decades was going to play out in radical trust. Because God wants to know what happens when we live with him for a really long time. There's a fascinating story from the Holocaust. The, The Jewish people call it the Shoah. 
And one of the things that was remarkable is that in the, in the internment camps, as the Jewish people were being systematically starved, uh, worked, and gassed, that they continued to pray and they continued to remain faithful to God. And people were like, later on, sociologists were like just stunned. How could, I mean, this is God, right? God's letting this happen to you. What you should be doing is telling God, you're no good. You should shake your fist to God. And yet that's not what people were doing. As they were watching their families literally be butchered, they remained faithful. Later on, when they were talking to the survivors, well, what was going on? The, the survivors would say, we didn't understand what God was doing, but we know him. And because we know him, we believed that what he was doing would somehow make sense at some point. One of the things that we look back now, we say, if the Holocaust had never happened, there would not be any Jewish people. Well, there'd be some, but there would not be Jewish people in Israel today. It was this horrific act that then was somehow drawn together for good. And as Christians, we believe that that's a sign that of God's faithfulness, a sign that the end is coming, that God will win. But I wonder if maybe... God was interested to find out what his people were like. Maybe that was part of it. Maybe, maybe God was, was like, okay, I, we, we've been together for a really long time. What do you think of me? The text goes on, and this is beautiful. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. By the way, when the Bible says, uh, when it repeats itself, that's like a... Your onlyest son. It's, it's an indicator of how treasured, uh, the boy is. It's, it's the way that Hebrew does, um, makes things more and more emphasized. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. This is not the first time God has told Abraham this. God has told this uh, to Abraham at least two other times where he's like, I am going to bless you. I am going to give you a descendants. I, they are going to be as numerous as the, as the sand in the sea. Like this is not the first time God has said this. God has been making this promise to Abraham almost his entire life. A couple years ago, I, th- I think I told you guys about the Disney dentist. Remember this? This is, this is one of my all-time hour, all-time great parenting moments. Uh, there's, a, there's an ex- example of what a Disney dentist might look like. So this is like three, four years ago. I don't know if Swarm was alive. He might have been. He was a baby, though. So Aaron and I promised our girls that there would be a special surprise for them at the end of the week. Now, what we had done is we had purchased uh, Disneyland passes, I think, or maybe tickets, um, and, but we didn't tell them. We were going to keep it a secret. My father, God rest his soul, ruined our surprise. He, yeah, he's taking Alice home or something. He's like, I heard you're going to Disneyland. Ah, I told you not to say anything. But the thing is, my kids were gullible. And so we're like, no, you misunderstood. We're not going to Disneyland. No, no, we're going to the Disney dentist. That's your special surprise for, you know, being good. They're like, and Olivia's like in tears. <laughs> it's like, what? I'm like, no, honey, no, no, no. The Disney dentist is awesome. You're going to love it. The, at the Disney dentist, uh, they can actually take like little picture, like little jewels that look like Mickey and put them in your teeth. So when you smile, yeah, Aaron, by the way, Aaron's driving and she's going along with us. I never thought that would, it would happen, but she's totally like, oh yeah, for sure. So, so you guys got to think, what? characters do you want your teeth 
so that when you smile at school, like the, the people will be like, oh, it's Mickey in your, you know, like the, like the NBA players do with diamonds and whatnot. And they, and so, so Olivia is, is devastated. Alice, because she's a sweetheart, decides to roll with it and decides to be like, this could be good. <laughs> she's a sweetheart, you know. Um, maybe this will, this will turn out for the best. And we keep this going all the way to Disneyland. They've been to Disneyland before. And so they're like, we're getting really close to Disneyland. I'm like, well, the Disney dentist, the Disney is right next to Disneyland. <laughs> so we keep them going. And then we're literally walking into the park when they're finally like, wait, we're going to Disneyland. Like, yeah. And I looked at him and we we're both like, girls, why would we take you to the dentist as a surprise, a good surprise? That's like, that's cruel. What do you think about us? Like, we would never do that to you. We love you. When we say we're going to give you something good, we mean it, and we're not going to go back on that. God's saying the same thing to Abraham. He's like, I'm going to be faithful to you. I promised you this. I'm not going back on that. Ever. If I say I've got a, a life for you, if I say I have, you know, an inheritance for you, if I say I have a future for you and your children, I mean it. And I won't stop. So the last piece of biblical faithfulness, of commitment, is, is the promise of blessing. Keeping the promise of blessing. And this isn't just God to us. This is also us to each other. When we make promises to each other, those promises, one, should be for our, your good. And, and two, we need to follow through on that. That's what faithful people do. They promise you good, and then they make it happen. Next thing in your note sheets, biblical faithfulness, keeping your promise of blessing. Well, this is just the last bit of biblical faithfulness, and it comes at the very end of our text. Let's uh, take a look here. You're going to take possession of the cities of your enemies, and through your offspring, Abraham, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. I remember when my uh, parents dropped me off at college, I'm an only child, and so, and obviously a lot of fun to be around. So my parents had had, you know, 18 years of awesomeness, like uninterrupted. And suddenly, I was ripped away from them. And so they tell the tale of like how they, they dropped me off at college, all smiles. And then they, you know, going back home, they just cry for like six hours. I'm like, I can't wait till my kids go to college. Like, come on. It's not true. I think about that day, or for that matter, like walking Alice down the aisle, or Olivia, of, of saying, here you go. I'm letting go now. Imagine what it must have been like for the father to let go of the son. Abraham was right there, ready to do it. 
The crazy thing about this text is that when we look forward, we see that, the, that Yahweh God, the God of Israel, the Father, um, does exactly the same thing to the Son, but he goes through with it. Imagine the Father <laughs> saying to the Son, Go, knowing full well that this is going to lead to deprivation, torture, and death. I have a painting here by Titian. Um, this is around 1506. And I've zoomed in, and I hope you can see it, uh, where Jesus is carrying the cross, um, and there's a single tear coming down. If any of us have kids, you know what it feels like when you look at your child and they're crying when they're hurt. You can empathize with Abraham as he was about to do that to his own son. But then, when we look back, we realize that Yahweh God of Israel let his own son go to death for us. That is faithfulness. That is commitment. That is never quitting. To go so far that you would endure this for the people that you love. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, you have been so faithful. God, you've called us to radical trust, radical obedience. You've called us to be promise keepers and promise makers of blessing. But you pioneered the way, God. What you released Abraham from, you endured yourself to show your commitment. God, great is your faithfulness. In every season, you have been faithful to us, to your people. In every season, you have drawn us to obedience, to trust. You've showed us what it looks like to bless. Great is your faithfulness, God. As we worship you now, may our hearts proclaim great is your faithfulness and God make us faithful in the same way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.